0: Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, thank you that you are the God who is with us because of Jesus, because he lived a life we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve to die and rose again to conquer death. You're the God who's with us even now by your Spirit. So give us ears to hear, Lord. Help us to be comforted and convicted and encouraged and exhorted towards Jesus. We pray these things in His name. Amen. So let me ask you have any of you ever been on a really long road trip? And now that I'm kind of a road trip snob with 20 plus hours. Your five or six hour trips, they don't count. They're not good enough. So I'm talking 20 plus hours. And if you've been on a road trip, it's kind of an adventure on the way there, right? It's kind of exciting. You're you're heading towards something. But on the way back, something switches, right? Not as exciting. (laughs) Not as hopeful, right? There's a point on that way home Uh, where you just kind of switch to to desperation. You just want to be home, right? Now, there are moments, there are seasons on a trip that long, right? There are some filled with joy and jamming out as a family to music, right? And and all is well and happy and it feels like everything's right in the universe, right? There's other moments where you're running out of gas and you really should have stopped at that last gas station and you're a little bit nervous about if you're going to make it to the next one. Right? There's some relational joys and struggles in the back seat, never the front seat, right? But often, just a lot of long stretches of road, longing for that moment where you pull in your driveway, walk up to your house, get everyone settled finally, and just lay your head down in your own bed, right? That's what a road trip is like. And that's kind of a mini picture of life as someone trusting in Jesus. It's kind of a, a mini picture of our story today. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you long for that moment where someday you'll finally, fully, freely, forever free of sin, free of suffering, with eyes to behold him in full fellowship, fall into the arms of your Savior, where in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures pleasures forevermore. I was just reminded of that yesterday again at our dear brother Craig's funeral, just sitting there like he he made it. He made it. He made it all the way home. He's in unbroken fellowship with Jesus forever where sin and suffering cannot exist and never will. And the beauty of Jesus is all-consuming. I was just preparing this last night and, and just letting my mind be blown of what, what that's like. Just to be in his presence, to, to actually make it all the way home, to fall into the arms of your savior. But we're all still here right now. And we're still on this trip home. So, so where are you? Right? Where are you this morning? Are you on a spiritual high right now where all is well? Are you running out of gas, spiritually exhausted from that same sin, that same struggle, or some suffering that's going on? Are you at a spot where your family and relationships around you are strong in Jesus and happy in Jesus? Or maybe you're at a spot where they're mostly sour and they're weak with sin and it feels broken. Or maybe you're here today and you don't even really know Jesus. So you're just surviving life, just trying to find hope somewhere along the journey, right? trying to find that that rest up that's going to bring you the perfect treat right, or the perfect way to sustain you. And this story today is really the story of a guy and his family trying to make it home that points to the bigger story of humanity longing for home and a God who works for his people to get them home. So that's what we're going to see. So wherever you are in the story, that's what I hope you see that God is going to get you all the way home. So point number 1, the Lord promises his presence. Now remember in our story, if you haven't been with us, Jacob has been working for his father-in-law, his father-in-law is a, a crooked, evil kind of guy who's always tricking him, always taking advantage of him, but despite all that, Jacob now has a large family, a large flock and many possessions, and God has kept his promise to bless the offspring of Abraham despite some really ugly failures in sin by the very people who should know better. <laughs> God's been faithful to his promises. So the the story of Genesis, we keep saying, is not the story of, hey, look at all these awesome people following their footsteps. The story of Genesis is the story of, look at God. (laughs) Look at how faithful he is to keep working for his people, even when they're completely off base. So in verses one to two here, if you look at it, Jacob overhears Laban's sons, Laban his father-in-law, talking about Jacob in a poor way, as if... Jacob is somehow taking advantage of him, which we just know isn't true. And so Jacob knows I'm, I'm falling out of favor. My, my father-in-law is not for me in any way anymore. And, but in verse three, after Jacob has heard this, God does what he's done over and over and over again with his people in the book of Genesis. He promises his presence. Look at verse three. God says, return to the land of your father's And I will be with you. Right, That seals the deal. God's told him. God's promised to be with him. God's telling him this again so that Jacob knows the most important thing in his life. God is for him and God will be with him. And I would just say, even if you don't know it this morning, even if you don't know it in the struggles and the sufferings of your life, what you need most, what I need most, what we need most is for God to be for us. And with us. And so God has just told Jacob the most important thing you could tell him I'm for you and I'm gonna be with you. Kids, I'm trying to think of how to explain this to you, but perhaps this can help you. Have you ever wanted your parents by you in the middle of a big storm? Like a big storm where the lightning and thunder is loud and it wakes you up and it's kind of scary. It's okay to admit that you want your parents with you. Have you ever wanted them with you and and by you? Or maybe you've woke up with a bad dream and you want mom or dad there with you. Why? Why do you want that? Because it feels good. It feels good to know that someone loves you and is stronger than you and they're, they're with you. And I want to tell you, kids, that if you trust in Jesus, you can know today that the strongest person in the whole universe Jesus loves you and is for you and will be with you. Isn't it amazing that that's why God comes and says this to Jacob? I'm convinced. He wants Jacob to know, I'm with you, right? God is God. So he could have just said, go. Right? He could have just said, go. Get all your stuff and just leave. But he doesn't just say that; He says, go, I'll be with you. That's just his mercy to lean in and tell Jacob that. And in verses 4 to 13, we covered a lot of this last week, but we get this story where Jacob calls his wife out to the field where Laban won't catch on and tells them how unfair Laban has been as if they needed a reminder. He tells them how good God has been to bless him and be with him. And then he tells them that God has called him to go back to his home now and he's wanting them to come with him. And this is, this is just Jacob, right? We just keep seeing these steps of maturity and then these steps backwards, right? Can you relate to his story, right? One step forward, two steps back. Seems to mature, then takes a couple step backwards. Trusts God, but still kind of ta- wants to take things into his own hands. Well, Jacob seems to be maturing in some ways here, right? He's heard God call him, and it seems like he's acting immediately. Okay, I gotta go. But notice, he's still not quite All in yet. Notice in verse five how he refers to God as the God of my father, right? It's not quite his God yet. Not quite all in. And Jacob has a long journey in front of him but little does he know that God is really pursuing him. And I'm I'm jealous that Nick gets to preach the moment where kind of Jacob finally wrestles with God next week. I'm gonna stop. I'll steal all the thunder right now but God's pursuing him in this journey. Jacob thinks I'm trying to get home, and God's going, I'm gonna bring you home, and I'm gonna come after you while you're on this journey. God does not give up on his people or his promises. So if you're here today, and you're not sure about God, right, you're not sure to do with him, maybe you're here because God is pursuing you, even now, to have you trust him to stop looking to jobs, or money, or comfort, or stuff, or power, or prestige, or popularity, or whatever else you try to run after to give you the joy that you can only have in Jesus. Maybe he's pursuing you today. Maybe in your journey he's after you today. So God has showed up, despite Jacob not being quite all in and has said, don't worry, I'm with you on this journey home. God has told him what he needs most to hear. Point number two, the leaving of the people to God's Place. So now we see Laban's sinful, greedy use of his daughters come back on him. You remember I said a few chapters ago, Laban's going to keep sinning, and you're going to see there's going to be consequences for his sin, right? We've, we've seen the family start to fracture because of the consequences of sin, but now it comes all the way back on him. In verses 14 to 16, Leah and Rachel agree for the first time in a long time, right? Leah and Rachel agree for the first time that we've seen them agree, Their dad has used them. Their dad has spent all their money so they have no inheritance. And they were supposed to save that money in case they were widowed. That was supposed to be sitting there for them to be helpful to them. He spent all of it. And they say, All the wealth God has taken from our father belongs to us and to our children. Do whatever God has told you to do. This family is transactional and they are ready to go because they're frustrated. There's nothing to gain from their father anymore and they're just gonna go where it's best for them. Jacob, still stealthy as ever, waits till Laban is off shearing the sheep. Probably not something you can relate to, but it's like Laban's off shearing the sheep. Now's the time to strike. Rachel steals his household gods. We'll see that come into play later. And Laban takes all of his stuff, this great mass of people and things, and they run, hoping that the head start over Laban who's out shearing a sheep is going to be enough. Kids, have you ever seen this on the playground where someone is racing and you say, hey, we're going to go on three, right? And then someone says, one, two, and they run, right? And they run, right? What are they trying to do? Right? They're trying to get a head start and that's what Jacob is trying to do. He's trying to be tricky here and, and outsmart, Jacob, or an outsmart Laban in this moment, but Laban finds out and goes after him for seven days, pursuing his son-in-law with anger and violence in mind. I don't have time to talk about it today, but the, the words that are used for Laban's pursuit of Jacob are like war words. Like he's going after him to do battle. He's going after him to to hurt him. He's going after him to do violence to him. That's what's happened in his family now. Trickery and treachery and violence in mind. But what we see here most importantly is that God's people are finally leaving their exile from a foreign place and heading to God's place where God has said, I'm going to be with you. We see Jacob listen to God and as we watch it unfold, the author wants us to feel the tension of two things going on here. On the one hand, Laban, an angry father-in-law, is after God's people and on the other hand, God has promised to be with them. Can you remember any other stories in the Bible where God's people are fleeing with an angry mob after them? Or they're going to have to cross some water to get away from him. Can you remember any other stories in the Bible where, where Jesus is being pursued by his enemies, right? This is the tension of the whole Bible. Who wins? <laughs> right, who wins? Will, will God's people be safe even in the midst of all these broken circumstances or will they be overcome? So what will happen? This isn't just a journey home. This is a test of God's faithfulness. So if you're wondering today, in your walk through life, if God will be faithful in this next chapter of your life, if God will be faithful in the trouble you see ahead, if God will be faithful in the midst of the brokenness, perhaps you feel like you're always only one step ahead of it all just falling apart. God has promised to be with all those who trust in Jesus. And so this story, this next point, is going to show us. Is God faithful? Can Jacob trust him? Can you trust him? <laughs> Can you? So let's see. Point number three, the Lord protects his people. just gave it away in the point. The answer, right, is a profound yes. Listen to verse 24. God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Notice two things from this verse. Number one, notice the Bible calls him Laban the Aramean. He's no longer even talked about like he's a family member. He's now identified as a completely different people. He's not one of God's people. God blesses those who bless his people and curse those who curse them like he said he would. And here the Bible is saying, "I'm, I'm dividing these peoples now. These are my people. He is just an Aramean. And second, notice God doesn't have to have Jacob outrun Laban or use some trickery. Jacob's self-sufficient head start is not what wins the day in the story, right? That's not what wins the day. It's, it's not how he gets there safe, right? Laban catches up. So what wins the day? God wins the day, right? God protects them. Not his trickery, not his cunning, not his self-sufficiency, but God's protection. So if you're trying Today, to make it all work on your own. You're trying to, to get a head start and running your own strength and you're growing weary. This is an invitation to just stop and rest and let God do the protecting. Let God do the providing. Let God do the caring. Let God keep his promise to be with you. To wait on the Lord. To not rush ahead with your own plan but to trust that God has promised to be with you and keep you and protect you because of Jesus. Well, in verses 25 to 35, Laban catches up to him and he questions Jacob, right? Why did you trick me? Why did you take my daughters? Why not let me celebrate you as you left? Why not let me say goodbye? I should hurt you, but your God showed up and told me to leave you alone, and on top of all that, you stole my God's. If you've been with us and you've been reading this story, this whole thing, I hope, kind of rings hollow to you, Like Laban is all of a sudden just for them and just wanted to celebrate them and why couldn't you just let me bless you on the way out, right? That's just not who Laban is. Laban's always been about Laban. Laban has never wanted to celebrate others, care for others, bless others. He's not all of a sudden some kind of sentimental father figure for his family. He's just him saving face. And Jacob tells Laban what you would expect that he didn't tell him Because he thought that Laban would do what Laban always does and take his whole family away by force. That's just honest, right? Why didn't I tell you? Because you're kind of always trying to trick me and ruin me and destroy me and overpower me. That's why I didn't tell you I ran because you're not a good guy. (laughs) This has not been a great two decades that we've spent together. He knows Laban isn't some kind, understanding man eager for him to get home. And Jacob in kind of wanting to show himself innocent, says that anyone found with anything, including Laban's household gods, will not live. And again, we feel the tension in the story because we know, (laughs) Jacob doesn't know, but we know, oh no, right? Rachel took them. I... I hate scenes in movies where people are in rooms doing things and someone's about to walk in. (laughs) I hate those scenes. like, just get out. It's not worth it. And that's what you feel like in this story as you're reading it. You're just like, oh no, she's going to get caught. She thought she'd get away with it. And here is what we're seeing here. I really think it's what we're seeing. We're seeing a showdown of gods. Seeing the showdown of God. Certainly, if Laban's household's gods are strong, they'll reveal this crime to Laban. He'll, he'll find them out and he'll overpower the God of Jacob, right? He'll overpower him and say, Here it is, they're stronger. Or, despite Rachel's foolishness to steal these gods, God will protect them. So what happens? Many commentators think. That Rachel took them out of spite at her father to dishonor his gods. And so the question in front of us is Are Laban's gods stronger? Is God stronger? Who wins? Well, Laban searches, Rachel hides them, and God protects his people. Laban's gods can do nothing to alert him or help him or bring him any kind of victory. And again, if you're going, that's a messy story. It is a messy story, right? The point of the story, again, I'll keep reminding you, the point of the story is not that the people God promises to protect are these perfect examples to follow after. There's none of these people in Genesis so far that we'd say, yep, you can just walk right behind them, and they're going to lead you exactly where you need to be. The point of this part of the story and the whole story of Genesis is that these little household gods can do nothing to stop the true God from protecting his people, the point of the story is that God is faithful to His people to protect them and love them and be with them and care for them, despite their own foolishness. That's the point. And again, if this is offensive or hard, this again is the gospel. God saves sinners while we were yet weak. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is gracious to us, not because of ourselves, but because God is gracious to us and cares for us and loves us. So God here has protected his people by showing up in a dream to stop Laban from hurting them. God has protected his people by showing himself more mighty than some other gods. And God continues to be the main actor in this journey home over and over and over again God is getting his people to his place to enjoy his presence and he will not fail and he will not leave them even when they do their best work to mess it all up last point the Lord provides peace so we get to this last section and in verses 36 to 41 Jacob now feeling good about himself because Laban didn't find anything even though he doesn't know or This or is supposed to be ironic too like Jacob, it's not really as good as you think it is, and here you are now taking advantage to kind of vent on your father-in-law. And so he lets his anger out on Laban. He restates, I'm innocent. He says, I've taken all these losses without any complaint. I've served you faithfully for both your daughters. I've served you for six years after that. But in the midst of his rant, notice that Jacob finally does understand to some degree who's blessing him, who's Keeping him, who's protecting him? Look at verse 42. He says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. God promised his presence, God's protected his people, God's been with Jacob on this journey. God has showed himself mighty over other gods, and God has shown that he will keep his promise. So you'd think, right, in this moment, this feels like a moment of reckoning for Laban, right? Like, turn and worship God, right? He's he's outdone you at every turn. Turn and worship. And maybe today that's you. Like Turn and worship God. Give up your little household idols that you may get. Just give up all those little things that you think make you great, that you think are going to define your life, and just, just worship God. Be about him and not yourself. But look at what pride does. In verses 43 to 44, Laban in his pride tries to save face. Where he says, the daughters are mine, the children are mine, the flocks are mine, but I guess I'll be nice to my family who I love so much, so let's make a deal. Right? That's that's what pride does. Of course, none of it's true. (laughs) Nothing he says is true. Jacob worked for the bride price for the daughters. Those children are theirs. They would have been theirs by the, the law of the land. Jacob made a deal, a bad deal for him, for the flocks that are now his. Laban has never cared about anyone else, but Jacob is happy to have him out of the picture, and so they start to make a covenant. They make a a pillar and then a heap of rocks and they eat by it together. That's how you made covenants, made deals back then. So Laban calls it a name in Aramaic Aramaic that means heap of witness. Jacob calls it Galeed, which is Hebrew for heap of witness. So as you're reading the story at first, you would say, well, why does the Bible tell us that they called it the same name? (laughs) So Laban called it heap of witness, but Jacob, he called it heap of witness. (laughs) You read stuff like that, you should go, what does that mean? What, What is going on there? That doesn't seem very notable, but what's going on here again is like Laban being called the Aramean before, this is showing that Jacob is headed home, right? He is a Hebrew. He's one of God's people, and he will name this place in light of that. That's who I am. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going with your name from your people, the place you're in exile anymore. I'm going with the name of my people where I'm going to be in God's presence. And God is bringing his people to his place. And Laban is going to try to stay face one more time in verses 48 to 50. The Lord watched between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, See, God is witness between you and me. Laban is just annoying at this point, right? He just, he just keeps trying to save face in his pride, right? Of course, Laban has been the oppressor. and He says, don't you dare oppress. right?" Laban is the one that made both of his daughters into sister wives. Now he's saying, you better not take another wife. right?" This is a warning to us. Right, Laban is a, a picture to us of a life lived without God, right, a life lived without his presence, a life lived running after money, a life lived of getting whatever you can in this life, a life of treating other people like commodities just to get to your next stepping stone, not treating people like they're made in God's image and treating them with value. And what happens when you live that kind of life is you end up alone, trying to save face, Lying through your teeth to the very end to try to continue to keep up the game you were playing all along. And what's really sad, no one believes you. right? As, as we try to play these, these games, right? We're, we think we're keeping up the facade and it's going well so far. Do you really think that Jacob or Leah or Rachel up to this point was like, yeah, Laban's a great guy. All he does is care for us. All he does is love us. Of course not. But he thinks they think that, right? He's still trying to save face. In verses 51 to 53, uh, they finally make their deal. And they both swear not to cross this heap of rocks and say that the God of Abraham will be the judge. Jacob swears by that God. And then you know what he does? He offers a sacrifice in the hill country and calls his people to eat bread and spend the night there. Laban wakes up in the morning and says goodbye and goes home alone the next day. So notice what Jacob does. Jacob worships. This is a big moment in his life. Jacob knows this is God's doing. The first song we sang today has these lines in it. Those altars in the wilderness, they tell the story of his faithfulness. Never once did he fail and he never will." This is a defining moment in Jacob's walk with God. Right? He'll look back and you'll see God's hand in this. Laban was pursuing. I tried to get a head start. My head start didn't work and God protected and God provided and God walked with us. Right, You've had these moments, haven't you, in your life where you look back and you go, look at what God did. I see how I made it from here to there and you'll, you'll have more in these life. Maybe today you'll have a moment. like God is in this with you and he's for you. This is an altar, a sacrifice to acknowledge God's unfailing faithfulness. Jacob could not outrun Laban. Jacob could not make it home in his own strength. Jacob has taken one step forward and two steps back over and over and over again. But here, Jacob stops to worship because God has promised to be with him and God has kept his promise and now God has given him a measure of peace on this journey home. He can go on without Laban pursuing. Remember in chapter 28, God first promising his presence to Jacob. Jacob saw heaven opened as a ladder to show God's goodness and power would be at work for his good. His goodness and power at work for his good. And this journey with Jacob reminds us of the journey that we're on. The Bible says we are sojourners and strangers longing for home and if you've trusted in jesus the good news is that he's the ladder <laughs> that he's the ladder he is the one that means that all of god's power and goodness will always be for you and open to you working on your behalf because of him god will always be with you and if you're here today and you've trusted in jesus you're not home yet so if you feel the, the weariness and, and the suffering, and you feel some joys and some sorrows and some triumphs and some tragedies, if that's just where you're living, it's because you're not home yet, and that's okay. Journey's long. And sometimes it's hard because of outside people and circumstances like Laban in the story. Sometimes we try to do things in our own strength only to see our circumstances catching up with us in the rearview mirror. Sometimes we take one step forward and two steps back in our own foolishness and sinfulness like every single character in Genesis and in the whole Bible. Or maybe you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus yet. And then you're just wandering with no home to go to, just a long journey that's gonna end in pain, trying to keep up the game and look good, trying to find joy and money or power or prestige or momentary pleasures like Laban. And I'm just want to lovingly say it won't work you're not gonna get anywhere with those things but the good news is that it's it's really simple like this the story is actually really simple if you would trust in Jesus your sins today can be forgiven and you can have true unshakable hope and joy if you do trust in Jesus and you're here today you don't have to hide or pretend anymore Like, you're you're probably not really fooling anyone, and if you are fooling a few people, you're not fooling Jesus. (laughs) You're not fooling the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You can be free. You can walk into the light, and you can know that he promises to be with you on the journey through all the ups and the downs and all the bends and the breakdowns on the way. He is committed to get all those who trust in Jesus all the way home. Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the age and God keeps all of his promises. So would you stop now in your journey and would you make this moment a sacrifice of praise? Thank you. (laughs) Never once has he left you. Never once has he left you on your own if you've trusted in Jesus. Would you stop now and acknowledge God's presence and God's protection and God's faithfulness to keep his promise. Would you stop now and acknowledge that since you've trusted in Jesus, he has never left you or forsaken you? Not even once. Would you stop now and enjoy the goodness of God towards you and give him glory and praise? Would you stop striving to do it on your own? And just like in this moment, just rest in his salvation. Like, Isn't it, isn't it an amazing thing to be saved by grace? Not because you did stuff. Not because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, but just saved by grace. Would you stop trying to protect yourself and your household little idols and instead enjoy his protection? Like here, here we are, we're the people of God. If you trust in Jesus, you're part of God's people and God promises to be with his people. He promises to be with you. Like I'm not, I'm not just saying it, he promises to be with you today if you trust in Jesus and tomorrow and the next day and every single day for the rest of your life, his goodness and his mercy will run after you like we are saying, all the days of your life. You can't outrun him and God promises to be with his people to protect them, to show himself powerful over all their things, to get us all the way home to be fully, freely, and forever with him. And there's a day coming. Brother Craig experienced it a few weeks ago. There's a day coming, and I just want you to picture what it's gonna be like where we will fall into his arms, and we will finally end our journey in his presence, which is our true home, that's what's coming, and the promise is, I'll get you there. I'll get you there. Let me pray. So Lord, we we long for home. we're so thankful that until we get home with you, you've made your home in us, that you've promised to keep us and be with us by your spirit. So thankful that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die. He rose again to conquer death so that we can know with confidence that when you look at us, you don't see us covered by the ugliness of our sin. You see us... Wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, having his righteousness as their own, so that you look on us and you see us like you see Jesus. You love us like you love Jesus. You're as for us as you're for Jesus. And so, Lord, that means that we can be safe and secure and at rest to in this moment as we come to eat and drink with you to just lay down any sins at the foot of your cross. Lay down any anxieties at the foot of your cross. Lay down any of our sufferings that feel paralyzing at the foot of your cross. Lay down our worries at the foot of your cross. Lay down our self-sufficiency at the foot of your cross. Lay down our, our hope in the next big thing at the foot of your cross. Lay down some future hope that we have of who will be someday at the foot of your cross. Instead, enjoy that you love us for who we are right now in this moment because of Jesus so, Lord, would this be a sweet moment of comfort for your people? Would this be a sweet moment of confession for your people? Would this be a sweet moment of returning back to you for your people? Would this be a sweet moment of realizing that you're with us and will be with us until the day where we're finally with you forever in your presence where there is fullness of joy and at your right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. Lord, we give you glory. And we offer, we offer our voices in all we are as a sacrifice of praise to you now in these next moments. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.